Let us pray. Lord, speak to us words that bring life. We are listening, your children, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nicodemus, poor old Nicodemus, he's not used to getting schooled. He's a religious expert in his day. Even Jesus calls him a great teacher of Israel. And Nicodemus and his colleagues who say, no, you go, you go and talk to him. They can see that something is going on around this character called Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness to see if his hunch is right. And he begins by telling Jesus that he knows that he's been sent by God because otherwise he couldn't do all the amazing things that he's been up to. And in John's account, this story happens just after Jesus has turned the water into wine and uh, has cleared the temple. So that's the backstory to what's happening now. Nicodemus believes he knows how Jesus fits into what God is doing, but he wants to run his theory past Jesus first. He wants to get some affirmation that he is thinking on the right track. Poor Nicodemus. He doesn't get the affirmation that he's after. What he gets is confusion. I confess it's what I get when I read the beginning of John chapter 3 as well. And when I read this, and I read Jesus' reaction, and I think about my work here at First Church, which is about building a bridge between our community here and the community outside these walls, I find Jesus' response somewhere between confronting and unhelpful. Here is an influential figure. He's part of the Jewish ruling council, and he is sympathetic to Jesus' message. He's interested in what he's doing. And I want to hear Jesus work with all that common ground. But instead, he bewilders Nicodemus, and frankly, he bewilders me. Instead of Jesus starting with Nicodemus' affirmation that he's been sent by God, he chides him for not being ready to receive the kingdom of God because he hasn't been born again or born from above. And Nicodemus, like me, gets confused. I suspect Nicodemus isn't used to being confused. Those of us who are trained as religious leaders, we like to have more answers than questions. It kind of comes with the territory. And some of us, with religious convictions, we hold those convictions precisely because of the sense of certainty that they give us. So we probably don't welcome the experience of bewilderment any more than Nicodemus did. Imagine the frustration Nicodemus is a big deal. Later on in John, he appears in this Jewish council who are deciding what to do about Jesus. Here, he's recognized as a great teacher, but he doesn't have any idea what this unheralded rabbi is talking about. And the more clarifying questions he asks, the looser his grip on what he's talking about becomes. In and around the story of Jesus, across the Gospels, Sometimes we notice that experts seem to get in the way. If you remember, there are people who are confident that they know what they're talking about, or at least they sound confident. I'm reminded of the story of Elizabeth, the cousin to Mary, when she becomes pregnant with the child who will become John the Baptist. Her husband, Zechariah, is a priest, a religious expert. You would think perfectly placed to understand and interpret what God is doing. Instead, he is struck dumb 
for the entire pregnancy. It seems to be God's way of saying, Zechariah, nothing you have to say is going to be helpful for the next nine months, so perhaps just sit still and listen. Perhaps some mothers in the room have similar perspectives of their pregnancies and memories of husbands' advice about what could make it easier or or whatnot. I couldn't possibly comment. I, too, was silent for the nine months of my wife's pregnancy. Jesus seems to make things more difficult for Nicodemus rather than easier. This man who is so used to understanding things and helping others to understand them, he's used to having influence. He's used to having mastery. And Jesus leaves him with neither of those things. It reminds us that the Christian faith is unlike any other human pursuit. If I'm an apprentice joiner, for example, I show up on the first day and I'm not good for much else except sweeping out the workshop. But as I keep turning up, I get to learn how to make dovetail joins and I get a little bit more useful and I, be, I get trusted with, with jobs by myself. And eventually, after a few years, I can build a kitchen, I can build a wardrobe, I can frame up a window without somebody standing over my shoulder and looking And if I've just graduated from med school and I'm a house surgeon on the ward, I trail after the expert, the consultant, and I take notes and I listen and I watch. And gradually, I begin to develop a wisdom that other people can draw from me. And when I first had a child, I was terrified of drowning the thing every time I gave him a bath and didn't know how to hold his head upright so it wouldn't flop to the side. And come my third child, I knew what I was doing. All those things came naturally to me, except It's different when it comes to following Jesus because it's precisely Nicodemus's expertise and experience that gets in the way of following Jesus. He's recognized as this great teacher and he recognizes that Jesus is sent by God. But the categories that he has don't leave enough room for what God is doing, the new thing, the new world, the new realm, the new way of being alive. So Jesus tells him he has to leave behind all of his mastery. He must abandon this wisdom that he has gained from experience. He must start again as a newborn, learning to speak, learning to walk, learning and growing and becoming. And this upheaval must start at the very basement of Nicodemus' being. This great teacher cannot enter God's kingdom as a great teacher. The only vacancy is for newborn children. This important figure must shed all of the reputation and the trappings and the plaudits that come with his stature and his influence and start over again. Why? Surely it can't all have been for nothing. It's because the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. For Jesus, the mystery of the wind is like the mystery of God's Spirit, who is bringing people to full life outside of Nicodemus' categories, outside of his experience, and outside of his control. This God cannot be contained by a formula, whether it's scientific or theological. This God cannot be tamed by doctrine. This God is surprising. We might say this God doesn't color inside the lines very well. And while we are used to experience bringing expertise, in the kingdom, experience brings humility. The more we follow Jesus, the more we are undone. The less sure we are of our own capacity to understand and control things, and the more 
trusting and surrendering we become. What we learn as we follow Jesus is how little we know for sure. The spirit is like the wind and it blows where it will. It cannot be tamed or contained. And so that raises the question, is this a backward step, this humility, this loss of confidence in our own capacity to control and explain? Jesus doesn't seem to think so. Jesus seems to be inviting us into our rightful place in the world. If we confuse following Jesus and the life of faith with gaining spiritual mastery and superiority, we begin to wield God like a weapon. We begin to speak as if our words were God's words. We begin to assume that we know God's mind. Once more this week, perhaps you heard about it in the news, a well-known Christian leader here in Aotearoa claimed that the terrible cyclone that hit the North Island was due to God's anger about pornography, abortion, and gay rights. It strikes me that this person speaks with too much confidence, too easily assuming that their outrage is God's outrage, and that God's outrage would be worked out in the same way that their outrage would be. It strikes me that they, like me and perhaps like you, need to lay down our pursuit of influence and stop wielding God like a weapon and instead see ourselves as newborn children, stumbling and fumbling our way into a new way of being. It might be disorientating to think of faith as knowing less rather than knowing more. Perhaps we have been comforted by thinking of our faith as a comprehensive answer to the bewildering questions that our lives and our world present us with. But if that's the case, I want to suggest that we have not been comforted by God so much as we have been comforted by the illusion of our own sense of control. And we've put the name God on that illusion. It's the kind of faith that puts everything where it belongs in neat little categories that we understand and that comfort us, which is exactly the kind of faith that leads Jesus to chide Nicodemus for thinking like this and remind him that the spirit will blow wherever it wants, as, the will, as will the people who are born of the spirit. Some of you will have been listening to the podcast that we have started for the season of Lent, it's called A Field Guide to Forgiveness. Um, the link is in the weekly email uh, if you don't know about it. Some of, all, some of you will have heard in the very first episode that I had to admit to starting in a place of humility, of not knowing how to forgive. Me, a follower of Jesus, me, the minister of a church, <gasps> me with a doctorate in theology, not knowing how to forgive the shame, the scandal. And the person I interviewed in this week's episode, the second episode, uh, isn't even on speaking terms with Jesus. But boy, she knows more about forgiveness than I can begin to imagine. The spirit, friends, blows where it will. In this situation, my mastery doesn't count for much. My influence and my importance actually become barriers to my becoming whole. I have to become like a child and learn and start over. But is the life of faith really about knowing less? I think that's a part of it. 
The season of Lent invites us to be honest with the ways we have come to rely on our own experience, our own wisdom, our own understanding, rather than the mysterious reality of God, who is at once beyond us and profoundly with us. So knowing less is a part of the journey. But Jesus, after all of the bewilderment, throws us a lifeline that we can grab hold of. We do have to start over. We must surrender the idea that we have all the answers. But in the midst of that unknowing humility, we can take hold of a single truth with real conviction. And you see it to this day at sports games around the world, written on people's placards, John 3.16. Often is a bit of a joke sometimes now. It's almost become an ironic uh, kind of um, caricature of the church. And yet in that verse is so much truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only son not to condemn the world, but to save it. That's a truth that doesn't explain everything, but that can hold us in the midst of a world which threatens to overwhelm us. So yes, I think Jesus is calling us to a smaller faith, a less preachy, less superior faith, one that is grounded in humility. But what this faith does know, it knows more deeply than any of those other answers we used to hold on to and make do with. It is non-negotiable. I don't know what God is up to. I don't know why the church is empty. I don't know why the cyclone happened. But I know God loves the world. And I know that God gave God's self for this world. And that Jesus is the expression of that love. I know Jesus came not to judge but to save and that believing in Jesus is open to all. Before I finish, one last thing. Lest that we think this task is something that we do on, on our own, something that we must work hard at, something that we must perfect. Think about the process of being born. Come on, I have a feeling it's an experience every single one of us went through. Yes, it is. A child doesn't decide when they are born. It happens to them. And profoundly, those of you who are mothers will know that even mothers don't decide when a child is born. The contractions happen. The body takes over. It happens to mum in a sense as much as it happens to the baby. Surely the answer of letting go of our mastery, of our catalogue of answers is not replacing it with some other form of mastery and superiority to become the best at being humble. <laughs> I think it's about surrendering to not knowing. It's about allowing ourselves to be born. It is trusting that the Spirit will blow. The Spirit will blow our way, pick us up and take our bewilderment and form it into fertile ground of humility. Make us teachable, give us open hearts and minds ready for this new way to be human. So let us let go and wait for the wind of the Spirit.